process and the, the, uh, the conditions of the mind as the Buddha made very clear that they uh, you know when he established the, the teaching around the five khandhas the five groups rupa, vedana, sannyasa, sankara, vinyana was to, to be able for us to contemplate the, the different uh, conditions of the mind put them in categories for contemplation and reflection so that we can we can begin to see them in uh, not in in the personal sense no longer through identification but through knowing uh, these things as they really are of course the the contemplation of birth uh, being born the body being born means that we have a, there's this physical formation that's conscious and that it has these different abilities to feel, uh, sensitive, it's, uh, it thinks, remembers, it imagines, it creates, it can indulge and suppress, it can uh, be attached to all kinds of conditions of the mind. Or material world, we can be very identified, very attached to possessions, to status, to power, to views, to our own opinions, our own the sense of ourselves, 
and uh, to being Buddhist, being whatever the the uh, the mind is this this formation. If we don't contemplate it and don't investigate it, then of course we merely are stuck with it for a lifetime, and that's this dukkha or suffering to be stuck with a, a bundle of delusions. And so we wonder why the world isn't worse than it is, actually, because it's, uh, it seems like most people seem to prefer uh, being deluded. Or maybe there's, they don't have much, many options for seeing things in any other way than through the the delusions that they have already, the conditioning of the mind. Because it starts when we're born, isn't it? We, we get, we start accumulating the uh, feeling, the acquiring, uh, grasping the, the uh, impressions, sense impressions, the, the, and as we learn to speak and and uh, develop uh, our memories and so forth. We, we, uh, we are uh, conditioned to, to perceive ourselves in all kinds of ways, culturally, through, through uh, all the class prejudices, ethnic prejudices, religious views that are inculcated in us, that are so much a part of the way we we uh, interpret life that, uh, of course, it's difficult to uh, to not believe all those assumptions, those attitudes, those those uh, perceptions, because that's all that we know. So the the Buddhist teaching was to know, get beyond the to to know the reality rather than than uh, just to be stuck with the illusory condition identifying and keep recreating and keep attaching to these conditions of the mind, to the body, to the conditions of the mind, so we, we don't, we just go around in circles, we're stuck in the cycle of samsara. So in meditation, you're establishing mindfulness not on a, a theory or an idea or a doctrine, but on things like the body and the breath. Because that isn't, that isn't cultural or religious or political or it's not, it's not uh, even personal, it's just what it is. The breath, the body, and the, the sound of silence. So this, this is, means that we we bring attention to something, to to a kind of basis or foundation that we that we can uh, stay rest in, that we can abide in, because we're not we're not creating it, we're not trying to sustain it or believe in it or defend it, because it is what it is. Because wherever we are, there's the body, the breath, the silence. This, whether you're sitting, standing, walking, lying down, whether you're happy or sad, whether you're successful or failing, whether you're 
healthy and robust or sick. That these are and these are common to all, men and women, rich or poor. Well, that's why meditation is is this is being able to to uh, recognize this, not to not to uh, make anything out of it, like to project onto it anything or expect anything from it, but to have the uh, to develop the ability to surrender to it, to be with it. This uh, attitude of relaxing with the breath, with the silence, with the body, rather than trying to make, to get something out of meditation. Where I see so many mistakes being made in, uh, with people meditating is that the, we put so much effort into it. And the effort is, is a, an effort coming from the, the view and the attitude of attainment. We're trying to, that we've got to get something, achieve something. So people do that for years and then they, they end up feeling despair because even if they do attain something, they lose it again. So whatever you get, you, you, you lose. So the, the Dhamma isn't something you get so you don't lose it, you awaken to it. So the, the Buddha is, it represents the, the awakened consciousness, conscious being awake to the way things are. And not adding anything onto it, not creating anything, not projecting anything onto the way it is, but being able to respond to the way things are out of intelligence, out of wisdom, out of understanding, rather than out of conditioning, out of uh, love and hate, out of uh, personal preferences and choices. Now you can see in your in your own experience of of so many people have have commented on in interviews and it talks on how they the um, you know the the attempts the the efforts they put into meditation end up always in failing and uh, there's a kind of a kind of uh, tenacity in the human mind that says we're going to keep doing it no matter even if we fail all the time. <laughs> uh, there's faith in techniques, meditation techniques. And so we, we think the Ajahn said to keep practicing uh, watching the rise and fall of your belly and people do that for years. And then they, after 20 years they say What was that all about? 
Every morning I get up and do the watching the, my belly rise and fall for 20 minutes in the evening. And 20 years gone by, I'm not a, a bit wiser for it, not a bit wiser. Somebody actually said that to me one time. 20 years now. I've wasted my time. So it was. There was not much reflection there, wasn't it? It wasn't contemplating what he was actually doing. It was a kind of blind faith in that if you do this, something happens. So you get enlightened or some kind of great insight arise. So there's a kind of virtuousness to it, a determination and, uh, and uh, practice. There was a lot of effort over a long period of time. But then the result was despair in the end of his life, just uh, uh, a feeling of despair with it because nothing really happened for him because he didn't really contemplate Dhamma. He just did what he was told. So contemplating Dhamma is investigation. In the seven factors of enlightenment, Dhamma Vijaya is there's sati and uh, mindfulness is the, is the first one. And then uh, tamamijaya, the investigation of dhamma, which is part of the, the, uh, one of the factors of enlightenment to develop. So it's investigating, looking into the way things are with mindfulness. Now in... And, and when we when we we contemplate the rise and fall of the belly or the anapanasati uh, at the nostrils or whatever, this is uh, there, there's going to be an attitude that we do this because the teacher said if we do this we'll develop mindfulness and we will uh, and then we will be able to go further get something else. There's a there's a kind of expectation from it. But the, but the uh, approach mainly is through, uh, through con- condition, through the self-attitude, and the, the, uh, the, there was never any investigation about self. What is self? Or really looking at what was actually taking place. There's just, when you meditate, you do this, and you, and you start from an idea of meditation and mindfulness rather than being mindful. Well, human beings are very much like this, isn't it? We, we're quite capable of obeying orders, doing what the teacher says, following the prescriptions in the book, uh, doing what we think, following our own views and opinions. Uh, we, we can also we get so much information now <clears throat> and read so many books on, on meditation and Buddhism and Hinduism and and all, uh, all kinds of, uh, of uh, mental practices and forms of meditation, and we, we get very confused because um, each, each book or each teacher or each group can sound like this is the, this is the way to do it. We, uh, each uh, tends to come from the position of 
of this is, I know the way, this is the right way. And if you don't know the way, you know the right way, then it makes you doubt. Maybe, maybe this is really the right way. Maybe I'm doing it all wrong. Well, I've been doing Anapanasati and Amravati all these years and I haven't got much out of it. Maybe I should try something else. Biofeedback. <laughs> Transcendental. But seeing the way things are is, is the, for one thing, the breath is like this. So mindfulness of the breath is, we're not, we're not trying to project anything onto it, but just learning to, to be with it, relax with it. To, to rest with the breath rather than try to make ourselves do something with it. That's a different attitude, isn't it, than saying, I've got to do something, I've got to get something out of, to get my concentration through, through fixing my attention on the breath, tends to bring us to a state where we are putting effort, we're projecting onto it something that we, uh, of ourselves. The self-view is, is doing something to, to get some, some kind of result. Where the other attitude of, say, uh, my, where the where the breathing is in the mind, mindful rather than than me concentrating on my breathing. When the, there's sati or mindfulness, then the breathing is in the mind. So one can just one feels a sense of just being resting, relaxing with the breath rather than trying to watch the breath and in order to get some kind of result from doing that. See, so it's, uh, the attitude changes from, from me doing something to, to uh, say, learning to relax and pay attention, notice, and to reflect, just uh, see what, what actually is happening. The breath, the body, so we, we contemplate the body and its posture. So if we're sitting, then we, 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 we bring attention to, we, we start observing, we reflecting on the body sitting, it's like this. And so the, with our mind, we, 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 the mind is, is resting, the body is resting in the mind. You have a feeling of, rather than your mind kind of doing something with your body, you're, you're developing the, 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 the sense of, a, of the body resting in the mind. So then, the the uh, the body is accepted in consciousness, rather than me trying to do something like uh, with my body, like trying to to feel this or feel that or concentrate on this, concentrate on that, as an act of will. One more and more feels uh, an ease through and relaxing the body rather than trying to make the body, make our mind do something with the body. With the sound of silence, I found that uh, people find that very helpful because 
it is a background sound. Once you relax and listen in a, a kind of high pitch, uh, cosmic, primordial, scintillating sound, that first people, people generally don't notice it. So, if they do, it, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's, it's uh, something not generally uh, taught or used. But I found this very helpful in establishing mindfulness and concentration because the, 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 the sound of silence, called the nada, it, it allows us to, it, it, we, one can rest with it. One can relax with that and it gives this sense of spaciousness and where the, the uh, five khandhas, where, the, where the, rather the foundations of mindfulness then can be seen quite easily can be contemplated. The roof, the way, the, the body, the feeling, the mental state, mental uh, mood, and then seeing the, 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 the conditions and, and the uh, experience of the present in terms of Dhamma. So unless we, if we don't have that space, then we we're in this like kind of quantum, uh, maybe thinking and analyzing Dhamma, but it's more through logic, through through a thinking process that one thing goes on to another. So we we end up kind of uh, figuring it out, but not really uh, establishing mindfulness from the foundations of mindfulness. So the foundations of mindfulness, they have, the body is the foundation of mindfulness. It's human form. And then we investigate it with mindfulness. In the, the Buddha's various teachings on the four elements and the, and the uh, Anapanasati and the uh, 32 parts of the body and so forth, the ways of, of looking at and investigating them. The, uh, the, the, the physical formation, the four postures. So, so, but this is done not through, through an intellectual process of, of, uh, of analysis, but through, a, through the ability to, to bring the body into consciousness as an object, as a foundation of mindfulness. Because the body is here and now. Then the Vedana, the, the uh, ability to, the, the mental uh, reactiveness, the sensitivity, the sensitivity through the organs, through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and body and mind, the attraction, the, the pleasure, the pain, the, the neither pleasure nor painful, the pleasant or the unpleasant, or the neither pleasant or unpleasant. This is, points to just the, the uh, state of sensitivity. We're in a, in a sensitive realm where we're always ex- experiencing something some being, being pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. That's the foundation of mindfulness. So, 
So Vedana is seen as a foundation, as something to, that you can watch, you can learn from. You're contemplating it, you're not, you're not analyzing it in terms of a self, or my feelings, or, or my attractions, or my repulsions, or my pleasure, or my pain. It, 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 the, the mind, the ability to reflect and, and notice, pay attention to attraction, the way we can be attracted to them, like seeing something beautiful, the, the experience of feeling attracted or seeing something uh, repulsive and, and being repelled, or neutral feeling, contemplating neutral feeling, neither pleasurable nor unpleasurable, is a, is a practice of developing awareness around feeling that is not extreme, that doesn't, say, grab our attention or doesn't, doesn't, isn't noticeable because it's neutral, so we, so we, but we notice it. We, be, we make an effort to pay attention, to notice, not the, the Vedana of neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Then Jitanu Pasana Saribhatana, the, the, the mental state, the mood, the aramana, the state of the mind. We, we can, when, when we're in this silent space, when we're, when we're not just caught up in the, in the movements of thought and emotion, then there is this, this space that we can begin to Notice just a, a mood is a mood, and that that's quite a revelation to change your attitude of being somebody who's in a mood to being a, a witness to the mood itself, without judging it, without uh, applying any kind of you know making anything about it, but just being able to recognize a. Uh, a, a, a mental state of being uh, uh, confused or clear or feeling uh, happy or sad or being uh, feeling angry or greedy, feeling uh, just uh, doubting, uncertain, insecure, lonely, feeling lonely or not feeling anything much, mood just not being, you have, maybe hasn't any way, any label, maybe you, don't, you can't describe, but it is this way. You don't have to, you don't have to, to put even a name to it, but because the mind, mindfulness allows you to, to just notice that, that the mental state, the atmosphere of your mind is like this. So the, what then, what used to be highly personal and complicated and convoluted and, and, and whirl you around, spin you around with, uh, get you going in all kinds of uh, reactions, emotional reactions, suddenly you have perspective on. You have a way of, of 
being able to look at something that before you had no, you didn't know how to look because of any emotion arise, any mood, you just became that way. Or if you didn't like it, you're trying to suppress your feelings or the mood you were in, trying to stiff upper lip. You really feel sad and depressed and miserable, but you put on a smile for everyone. People do that. Being down, nobody loves me. You come into the sun. Hello, everybody. You're trying to to suppress. You don't. You're trying to to put on a nice face. You don't want people to. You don't want to make people unhappy by by uh, letting them see your, your own unhappiness. So we we cover up. We develop ways of of uh, just uh, suppressing our feelings and trying to act out the roles, perform the duties, obey the orders uh, that, the, that we, we expected to as being normal, healthy men and women living in England or wherever. <laughs> but the, when we begin to, to get this perspective in which we we, uh, we, uh, we see a way of, of contemplating and recognizing the impermanence, the, the, that these moods are not self, that they are what they are, but we have a way of uh, accepting, of knowing, accepting, and letting go, and no longer creating karmic connection to these various uh, emotional habits. So through this practice, more and more, one, one feels, one, one realizes a, a purity of being, the pure state of being, which is non-personal, non-self. And it's not an object, you're not, you, you can't objectify it, but you, you know it through this relinquishment, through this letting go of conditions. So there is this, a way out of suffering. There is, as, as that, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unoriginated. There is a way, because there is the uncreated, unborn, unoriginated, there is the escape from the born, the created, the originated, the form. The, this, uh, this is, uh, to me, a very uh, uh, beautiful statement. There is the escape. We're not stuck. We're not just lost in the in the force of habit, in the in the emotions, in the body, in the in the uh, views, the opinions, the conditioning, the cultural conditioning, all the self-centered habits, the the ignorance. We're not. We're not stuck with that, where there is an escape from all that. So when the Pope uh, says that the uh, 
Buddhists see the world as bad and all they want to do is just turn their back on it and be indifferent and This is not what the Buddha was teaching. He doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have a clue. <laughs> kind of pro proclaiming his ignorance to the world. Because the Buddha's teaching is, it's, very, it's a very uh, skillful teaching that, that if you practice it, it works. It's not, it's not just, uh, this wasn't, Buddha's uh, experience and no one else's. Somebody wrote a thesis, I think, up in Lancaster University, a doctoral thesis or something on the only enlightened Buddhist was the Buddha. <laughs> and the conceit of that. <laughs> As if this person could, could prove that. <laughs> But graduate students are always desperate to find some kind of controversial, outrageous approach to write a paper about, challenging the the assumptions of the of the age or the group. But if you notice in the Satipatthana, the way the Buddha taught was was this investigation. I mean, you're, it's, not, uh, it, it's not based on believing uh, in things, but in, in looking into. Because we do, we have the ability to be mindful. This is, well, mindfulness is, is, is something that I don't think is, is very highly, it hasn't been really uh, appreciated in, uh, in the Western world. We've, we've developed uh, logic and reason uh, in modern science based on logic and reason and uh, theories, premises, ideas, analysis. The mind goes on and on and on and, and get, can do all kinds of remarkable things with that, with the function, with the kind of manipulation of the conditioned realm. Uh, as you can see, we've we're almost manipulating ourselves out of the condition, blowing ourselves up, polluting the environment because we're so clever and can um, create all new, I mean, permutations, variations on all, on all the conditions and the four elements. But in the long run, we're not happier or any wiser for it. No, we, we, we have increasingly more difficult problems and, and uh, the amount of human wisdom doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to have uh, noticeably uh, increased since 2,500 years. The human population has increased. And, and uh, that wasn't based on wisdom. the result of wisdom. So wisdom in this sense, the panya, is, is the, is, is the um, insight, being able to 
to see things as they are, to, to, uh, to contemplate. I mean, that wisdom is something that's available to us. As we, we have these teachings, the, the teachings of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths, the Dhamma teachings, which are there for us to use. You know, like we have to find these ourselves and discover uh, some, some new teaching because this teaching is still, you know, it's, it's, a, it's all we really need if we're willing to, to, uh, to contemplate it and to put it into practice. So it, it's also, I think, very comforting to know that, the, that there is this, that, that, that sometimes one feels as a human being, you're in a kind of um, universal system that doesn't care. It just operates on kind of laws of nature that, that have, and, and you're we're just some kind of aberration or some kind of cosmic accident or... Uh, Sometimes you feel you're in a, in a universe that is cold-hearted and doesn't care. And you can see this, this coldness in the human heart where, where the human selfishness makes us into really brutal, insensitive, selfish, nasty kind of creatures. But also, humanity has produced the saints, sages, artists, beautiful beings, compassionate beings. We have this, we, we're not just kind of mechanical uh, like, uh, robots that, that operate just uh, in, you know, by like a computer, like a machine. We do feel, we, we do contemplate, we do wonder. We wonder what the meaning of our life is and if there's any purpose. We, we do, we do, uh, we are touched and, and moved by beauty and truth and goodness. It reaches us, it, it, uh, it, it, it brings tears to our eyes when we, when we hear something truly uh, good, something truly beautiful. Then, then we we feel this pity or this rapture sense of, of uh, what is that? Is that just a, a a kind of psychological mechanism to clean the eyes out now and then? We do experience love and. Uh, and we, we have, and we do, and there is enlightenment. So, I mean, these are, uh, in spite of the many uh, facts and figures to put human beings into, into a, a, a cold-hearted category of just uh, mechanical operated creatures according to law, cold-hearted laws of nature, we know that's not really the way it is. Because just one's own uh, love of truth and uh, and being able to to recognize the beautiful when when it when it's present, what is that? What is that ability? And when we hear uh, the, uh, like stories of self-sacrifice and and uh, and 
people doing wonderful things, helping each other, or being unselfish and and uh, helping the poor, or helping the people with AIDS, or doing something uh, against a going uh, having to put up with all kinds of of discomfort, pain, and and uh, humiliation, and so forth, in order to to do something noble, something right, something true. I mean, we feel we feel uh, this rapture. It makes us feel proud of our humanity. Isn't it? We, we we recognize in it something that is that it, it's like. Uh, our life is is significant. It is meaningful. Because we're not just a, another weed in the garden. Just stories like I, I, I read in the in the newspaper about this earthquake in Japan. The, Terrible earthquake in Kobe, and they and they 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 found a woman, seven-year-old woman, under a pile of rubble. She was nearly about ready to to die, and they found her because her dog was standing by this pile, howling, howling and howling, till the till the men came and recognized the dog was trying to say something. That's a beautiful story, isn't it? <laughs> Even dogs, you know, they're not just. Uh, stupid animals that uh, all they want to do is eat. They do care. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> so in the practice of meditation, it's uh, this investigation isn't just a a chilling objectivity that we're after, but a profound insight into the mind, into the heart, into into this, yeah, into the uh, dhamma, the truth of the way things are, and the 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 abiding <coughs> is in the deathless, not in the deathbound. So when we when we let go of things, when we relax, let go, mindful, then we are abiding in the deathless. That's why we can see the deathbound, why we can see as objects the conditions of our mind, or see or recognize the the body as a condition, recognize the 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 power of feeling and and contemplate Dhamma because we, you can't you couldn't possibly see the uh, one condition doesn't see another. The condition, when you understand how your mind works, the, the conditions of your mind are just, they're just kind of, they are mechanical, they operate and they move and change and, and you press this button and you get this reaction. So that they, if you're just attaching to conditions, to ideas, to views, and you end up thinking and logically figuring out, but but you're still with, with still uh, attached to to the samsara, and you're still attached to what is dead, really, what isn't 
deathless. So when the Buddha, then um, mindfulness is the path to the deathless, and then he he he, had, he gave the, this this emphasis on mindfulness. And what is that? Is it concentrating your mind on an object, or is it being able to bring, use consciousness to to be able to to rest in just the the, uh, the existing conscious experience to let go to abide in the state of of aware attentive awareness, watching, listening, and then then we can contemplate in terms of breath, or we can, we can look at various things in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of personal preferences, picking, choosing, liking, or disliking. So on this retreat I've been emphasizing this a lot, this approach, because one feels that it's, uh, you know, it's very direct and very helpful to people uh, and that, that sometimes the, the, the way we used to teach was very much was like too, too, too much emphasis on, on uh, trying to get things, trying to do this to get that and, and one recognizes that you know the results of that is uh, you know you get you know, certain develop certain uh, maybe virtuous qualities from it. The, but then you realize that, that, that something isn't quite working with people because there's still so much effort and trying and, and doubting, so much doubting going on. So much insecurity and unsureness in the, in the people that have been practicing for years, still caught in in the in doubting and insecurity. Why is that? Why, after all these years, was some people still still so unsure, so uncertain? And so the this this self this sense of the self view it really need to get get underneath it get get beyond it because when we're meditating whatever we do from from this uh, from this view of ourselves it, it doesn't work no matter how well intentioned you might be if you're still practicing uh, with the assumption of a self that has not been seen, not been seen through, then it, then you end up with grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish. In the Paticca Samuppada, that's, that's, that's the reflection foreseen, where if whatever comes out of ignorance always ends up as suffering. So, so, so the Buddha's teaching is to not, not come from ignorance, but from mindfulness, wisdom. 
And that, that means that, that like, and then the anatta teaching is very direct. It's that, that all dhamma is anatta. Satetama anatta. So, so this anatta, the, if, we're, if we're coming out of, uh, if, we're, if anything we do is still, if, if, the, if we're attached to a view of self, no matter how subtle, the result will be suffering. Now, I don't expect you to believe this, but to contemplate this. And then, when, we, when, we, when we're not, when we let go of the self-view, when we see it and recognize that any, any attachment to any position of a self, subtler growth, then we we, we, we don't touch that anymore. Sometimes we fall back into the old habits, but we, just out of heedlessness, we can kind of forget. But we know. Once you see it, you know. So we, we remember, we remind ourselves. And so on this retreat, I think, we're very, very, uh, You know, an opportunity to keep reminding ourselves, reminding, looking and watching and listening. And beginning to relax and trust in the silence of just being conscious and aware. Because that, that is a place of abiding. You can abide there. You don't have to, it's not a place you create with your mind. It's not a condition. So from there, it's like you have a place, a refuge, and from that refuge, then you can see things as they are. You're not, uh, you're you're contemplating your reflective reflective ability, the panya is there too. And the the teaching of the Buddha is teaching to, to direct your attention, to see things. Notice this, what Rupa, what Vedana, what Sanya, what Pankara, Vijnana is. This emphasis of ways of, uh, for the, the Buddha to uh, look at it this way, look at it that way. <laughs> look at the senses. Uh, interesting, Vinyabhul Sunyata is uh, he's someone who's meditated for many years and he's, he's uh, investigated senses for years. The eye and the object and the contact. And just taking something like that, the ayatanas, and just keep reviewing them, contemplating and, 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 uh, And, and reflecting on that experience of just subject, object, and contact, the subject with the object, the ear with sound, the nose with, with the odor and so forth. It's just by keep, keeping, uh, kind of examining, watching, paying attention how it actually is, you, you break down, you break through the, the, the habit, uh, habitual reaction to, to sensory experience. Just being caught up in in uh, in the 
an habitual uh, reactiveness to senses and taking it all for granted and not not uh, not really looking deeply at what's actually happening, but by a continuous kind of investigation over a long period of time, your mind breaks through the uh, through the through the habit formations, the self, the sense of a self that's connected to to the ayatanas, to the to the sense organs and the objects of sense. In all the the dreary assumptions that we make out of that, the world we create, uh, and it gets dreary as you get older. If you don't question it and break down the the ignorance, then as you get older, it gets worse, drearier, because you're just you're just deepening the habits. You acquire them when you're young, and they just deeper and deeper. By the time you're sixty, you're just stuck in a rut. So deep that you can't see out of side of the rut. The uh, Four Noble Truths, whom I contemplated those for years now, is to, to where and applying it to, uh, to the things that are happening to me. Both in the, you know, in the, uh, on the, on every level, from external uh, experiences to internal emotional experiences, and and putting the, the those the, the conditions and the changing conditions and the habits and the attitudes in the context of the Four Noble Truths, I always found that very helpful and and uh, clarifying. They really, that in terms of like tamanu, pasna satipatana, the fourth foundation of mindfulness, that helps to 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 see things, to intellectually clarify, to insightfully see and know things through the through the the pattern of arising and cessation, and the and through the realization of cessation, or realization of non-attachment. So, in the, in developing these, this practice, then the, you know, you, you, ask, you, you, you ask yourself questions, what, what is attachment, what is non-attachment? And you're not, you're not expecting an answer in terms of a voice coming and saying, this is attachment, or you are attached, so there's none of that, but you're, 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 you're trusting in that awareness to, to recognize what attachment is. So the mind is, 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 is looking at attachment. I mean, it's, it's, it's receiving, it's, re, it's, it's recognizing this attachment, investigating it, contemplating it. Is it pleasant or painful to be attached to things? I'm not trying to prove that it's painful, because the Buddha said so. I thought the Buddha knew what he was talking about. Is it pleasant to be attached or not? <laughs> Is it happiness? 
Is it peace? Is it contentment to be attached to things? Or is it suffering? And what is non-attachment? And then, then you, you begin to notice, note, pay attention. Beyond the, the where attachment and non-attachment, because when you see attachment, recognize, then you you you, you can let go. There's an insight into letting go, and then there's, then you have the insight into non-attachment, the cessation, realization, and it's and it's from watching in the mind. It's reflecting, contemplating, penetrating with wisdom, and that this is possible. The Buddha said marvelous things like, and people asked him, what, what happens to the Dittakada after death? And the kind of unanswerable question. People want to know things, you know, like, what was I in a previous life? What will happen to me? Will I go to heaven or hell when I die? And, uh, what happens to the Buddha when he dies? <coughs> Does the Buddha go to Buddha land, or does he? Is there a place called Nirvana in somewhere? Where Buddhas live, or does he just disappear into a void of nothingness? The Buddha refused, wouldn't answer such questions. No, no, the speculations are, if you recognize the Buddha was not is not a speculative teaching, because speculation, to speculate about things is, uh, is, uh, is a condition of the mind. And so when you attach to the speculative uh, mind, then you're, you know, you're just uh, going around with it. Is there a God or isn't there a God? Is, it, is is there a heaven and hell, or isn't there? What happens to us when we die? What was I in a previous life? You know, all these kind of things, these are speculations. So the Buddha said, look at that function of mind, that which speculates. Rather than giving in the, the fascinating possibilities, of, uh, because the sky's the limit, isn't it? The universe whole universal system, you could, you could create all kinds of possibilities in it. Fascinating realms and, and I mean, if you've got a good imagination, you could speculate about all kinds of things. All possibilities and permutations, variations on variations and themes. And it goes on and on. A creative ability is, is just like that. It, it, one can, it's quite uh, miraculous, and, it, and it can, you can create almost anything you can possibly think of. 
your mind, isn't it? You can, you've got a, a mind that, that can just produce images. Imagine all kinds of things. Speculate about all kinds of things. And that's not to be despised. It has, it's a, a function of our mind discriminative uh, uh, intelligence is a, is a gift. But as an attachment, and as an end in itself, it only is uh, dukkha. So in, in the, the Buddha, through his silence, or through his direct pointing, we're, we're getting to look at what we're actually doing. Our own doubting, speculating, guessing, preferring, our prejudices. Our views, our opinions about our assumptions. As you're looking at them, you're seeing them not through uh, affirmation or denial, but through recognizing them in terms of Dhamma, what arises, ceases. Conditions are conditioned. So when that is let go of, then the conditions, and one no longer has faith and trust in grasping conditions and beliefs and doctrines and 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 one's own views and opinions. When when that then then the mind is liberated from that grasping, the death bound, the changing, the unsatisfactory. So then there's no death, there's no dukkha. In the mind that not, is not grasping things. But as soon as you grasp them, <clears throat> then there's death, then there's suffering. Jaramarana soka paritewa tukatomana thupayasi. So, that's enough for this evening. <laughs> and uh, offer this for your reflection, consideration. <laughs>